We uh, talked about small churches that changed the world. And we talked about the fact that it was 120 who got invited to the upper room on the day of Pentecost for the suddenly, the fulfilment of the promise of God pouring out his spirit. And it wasn't the 3,000. <laughs> God did something for a very small group of people. And this, today I want to carry on with that, but just really filling in the gaps. Because we talked about how our calling as believers is that wherever we go, to bring the kingdom of God wherever we go. And that it really matters about the jobs that we do and the families that we belong to and the places where we go to college and the places where we go to university and the places where we study because God wants to bring his kingdom there through you. And we talked a bit about how that happens, not just because you might pray for someone or prophesy over someone, but just that you might do your job or the way you are in your family or the way you are at college, that somehow how you are, just being yourself, would have an influence and an impact on the people around you. That actually in your job, you might get wisdom from God to improve systems and bring peace between people. That it doesn't have to be strange to follow Jesus. It doesn't have to be we do the outlandish and the crazy, although it can involve that, and it's wonderful when it does as well. Jesus has called us to be an apostolic people, because Jesus himself was... And is the great apostle of the faith. And the word apostle is, is a word that really the New Testament borrowed from the Roman world. When Rome wanted to cause another area to become like Rome, it would send an apostle in an apostolic ship to transform an area to be like Rome. And so they would send the, the leading ship with an apostle to make Philippi like Rome, Roman roads, Roman law, Roman culture, Roman society. And Jesus calls us to be an apostolic people, that wherever we go, we bring heaven to earth. That Jesus says this, pray that it's going to be on earth as it is in heaven. Be an apostolic people. You're to transform wherever you are to function like heaven. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about actually how we, how we do that. How we do that. That's an amazing voice you've got there, Coco. Wow. How, how do we do that? How do we become those apostolic people? How do we become people that when we're at work, when we're at college, when we're at university, when we're in our family, we are bringing heaven to earth? How do we become that? And I want to explore it by looking at an Old Testament story, which is the story of Gideon. Because in order to change the culture around you, you have to have a transformation of the culture within you. Heaven's culture is freedom. It says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So one of the key aspects of heaven is freedom. And in order to bring the culture of heaven to every environment we're in, that small church can change the world, we have to see a transformation of the culture within us. And we're going to explore through Gideon of how the culture of Israel got set free in order that they might break the stronghold which was oppressing them, which was a military force. So that freedom came to Israel so that they might have freedom from their enemies. They might have freedom from what was oppressing them, which in Judges 6 was Midian. And so as they got freedom inside, they got freedom around them. 
And it's interesting that if you compare the Old Testament with the New Testament, in the Old Testament, freedom was often about military freedom. It was about pushing your enemies back. It was about physical, geographical territory. It was about wars being won against people groups. But when you come into the New Testament, it's no longer about war against people groups. It's about strongholds that are in the heart being demolished. And the war becomes a war of freedom within to bring freedom without to the people around. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, uh, Judges chapter 6, and we're going to dip in and out of this story. Because I do believe that God wants to bring a, a greater freedom to many here this morning. He wants to give keys to freedom and he wants to give power for freedom so that we were praying upstairs that, that we were reading just remember those verses like Hebrews where it says if you, today if you hear his voice there's a today with God. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of breakthrough. And uh, if you're like me I have dates marked in my head that were key days when I heard something that set me free in a new way, or God met me in a new way. And we were saying, why not for you this morning, November the 30th, 2014, was the day that something broke that hadn't broken for a very long time? Why not today is the day of freedom? Why not today being the day of fresh resolve? So in chapter 6 and verse 1 it says this, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. So that's a, a people group. Because of the power of Midian, because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain clefts, caves and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted the crops, the Midianites, Amalekites and other eastern peoples invaded the country and they camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza. And did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep, nor cattle, nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So I want us to understand a people who, God's people who were, not that long before, were taking the land and crossing over Jordan and pulling down Jericho and victory after victory after victory. And then you have this people who are being oppressed by the Midianites who are not free now to be the people that they're called to be. And so there are people now who were, were the people of victory, the people who set culture, and now they're the people who are living in shelters, underground, in caves. This is a people who are humiliated. This is a people who are impoverished. And this is a people who cannot plan for the future. They've got no ability to plan for the future because whenever they plant something, the enemy comes and steals what they planted. Whenever they plan for the future, the enemy comes and ravages and destroys and so there are humiliated people that live in clefts, caves, and strongholds. And in the middle of all of that, desperation comes, and they cry out to the Lord for help. In the middle of everything, in the middle of all of that, they are crying out to God for help. 
And God comes to them because the Bible says he hears our cry. And we can say, what's that got to do then with, um, with us today? What's that got to do with us today? A geographical people oppressed by a foreign army. How does that relate to you and me in how we live our lives? And how it relates is this, is that the Bible talks about the reality that there is a link between what we sow and what we reap. And we're going to understand from their story that the consequences upon their life was actually they had done what God had said for them not to do and that they hadn't listened to God. He says in verse 10 of chapter 6, I said to you, I'm the Lord your God, do not worship the God of the Amorites in whose land you live, but you did not listen to me. And so they sowed a certain seed and they reaped a certain crop. And that's the way it is in the natural. If you sow apple seed, you get an apple tree. If you, if you sow orange seed, you get an orange tree. And so the Bible says that, that there's still this reality of reaping and sowing that impacts our inner world. That's something that passed through the cross. Curses didn't pass through the cross, but reaping and sowing did pass through the cross. So... To show you this, in Galatians uh, 6.8, I want you to know that I'm not, this is not to condemn us and leave us feeling, oh, but there's something good about going to the doctor and the doctor says, you're right, you are sick, but don't worry, it's all right, there's an answer. I know what it is. How many of you have ever been to the doctor and you're relieved when they say, don't, I know what it is? <laughs> Don't worry, I've got a prescription for you. I know what it is. I think that's a good moment. So, hearing about reaping and sowing isn't to condemn us, but it's to help us realise sometimes what's going on. So, Galatians says, in chapter 6 and verse 7, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to the flesh to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. And we can see some of the things that um, are considered to be sowing to the flesh. And it's interesting that lots of them are relationship ones, because often we think of the flesh is the, the sexual sins in verse 19 of chapter 5 and impurity and debauchery and idolatry and witchcraft. We can't think, yeah, yeah, they're the flesh. But it also says hatred, discourse, jealousy, fits of rage and selfish ambition, dissensions, factions and envy are all things that people can sow to and actually can damage the heart and cause a person to reap something from what they've sown. In, in Matthew 18... 35, uh, Jesus is giving a story about a person who has forgiven their debt and then won't forgive someone else who owes much less. And so Jesus is telling a story in this chapter and saying there was somebody who got forgiven a million pounds and the master let them off their debt of a million and then they had a friend who owed them three or four hundred, and instead of forgiving the friend who owed three or four hundred, they made that person pay their debt. 
and actually the, the master says, I just let you off a million and now you're being so petty to not let someone off three or four hundred. And then he says this really, then he says this, this thing in verse 32, then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all of that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tormented until he should pay back all he owed. Which would be fine, because then we could just say, it's just a story about somebody. Then Jesus says, and this is how your heavenly father will treat of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless, you're, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. And I, I've been guilty of this, because I didn't get it of reading it and going, blah, blah, I didn't really say that because it doesn't quite fit with God is good. So we'll say that verse really quickly because I don't have a category for that. So yeah, this is how you have any final word. Amen. So we didn't hear that. <laughs> but we can't get round the fact that Jesus has just told a story about someone who didn't forgive someone else their debt and got thrown into jail to be tormented. And this is how your heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Wow. And really, we, we all know if we're honest, if we haven't forgiven somebody, it is like being thrown into prison and tormented, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> and it, 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 it's a reaping and sowing. <laughs> we sow the seed of, I'm angry, I want revenge, I want justice, it's not fair. And we reap torment and bitterness and we said it last week it's like we drink poison and we expect the other person to get sick and we all know the torment of waking up in the middle of the night don't we (laughs) at two and the tape begins to play and that conversation and then they said that and then they said that and and then the fantasy I would have said this and I would have said that and then the cursing I hope everything they touch breaks and everything's destroyed. I want them ruined. Oh, please forgive me, God. <laughs> Every, uh, I'm the only one who's ever suffered from unforgiveness, obviously. <laughs> you know, I'm the only one who's ever seen that film <laughs> that plays every night for three o'clock in the morning. So God said, that, look, there's a link between unforgiveness and torment. There's a reaping and a sowing. And, and Paul says in Ephesians 4.27, if you've got unresolved anger, it gives the foothold to the devil and it gives darkness a place of influence. So what I want to say is at the beginning of Judges, there's all these people going through oppression, they can't plan for the future. It's because of reaping and sowing that in the New Testament it's not a people group, a geographical area or an army, it's heart issues that can oppress and steal our ability to um, plan for our future. And so reaping and sowing is, if you walk off a building, there's a law in the universe called gravity that you will break both your legs. And so if the building's high enough, you could die. And you can't then turn to God and say, you are good, why didn't you protect me? He will just say, did you ignore the law of gravity? Yeah, well, what did you expect then? There's a, there's a law in the spirit. There's a law in the spirit. If you don't forgive from your heart, there's a torment that goes with it. 
if you let anger go down overnight and don't process it appropriately, it leaves a place for darkness to influence you. If you sow to the flesh, you reap the destruction that comes from the, the flesh. The seeds that you plant in your life will produce a crop. And so that's what God is saying in these verses. You didn't listen to me. Actually, you're, you're reaping the crop that you, you deserved. So, but going back then, because that would be really good news, wouldn't it? <laughs> Amen, let's all go home. <laughs> Amen. You reap what you sowed. Amen. <laughs> See you next week. We'll talk a bit more about what you're reaping and what you're sowing. But thankfully, um, in the New Testament, there's a promise that we can reap where we didn't sow. And there's even a higher law than the, high, the law of reaping and sowing. There's what Jesus sowed and what we get to reap. So let's unpack that then. <clears throat> so they cry out to God for help. Desperation's a good thing. Desperation is a good thing. Desperation is a great thing. When we get to the place where we're absolutely sick and tired of the tape running around our head, or the influence of darkness, or the areas of destruction, desperation's a fantastic thing to have when it leads you to cry out to the Lord for help. It's not a great thing if you just find out different things to dampen the pain. And some people do that. There's this turmoil that goes on in their heart because of unforgiveness, and they medicate it through alcohol. That's not a good way. You've got to cry out to God for help, not get rid of the pain by looking for something else. And so the Israelites cried out for God for help. And the great news was God always hears the cry for help. It doesn't matter how messy their lives were or how dark it had got or how broken they'd become or how foolish they were. God always answered their cry for help. And he always answers our cry for help. It doesn't matter how much our own silliness has got us where we got. It doesn't matter how many roofs we've walked out off in the spirit and got ourselves all banged up. He always hears our cry for help. And God comes to Israel through a prophet. He brings a man of God to come and tell them what's gone on, what's gone wrong, and to give them a diagnosis. And so for them it was, the prophet says, I brought you out of Egypt, out of the hand of slavery. It says in verse 8, I rescued from the hand of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hand of all your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave you your land. I said to you, I am your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you didn't listen to me. So the prophet comes to them. The fantastic news in the new covenant and the new testament and the new deal through Jesus is that when we get into a, a, a mess in our heart and we need freedom, we don't have to wait for the prophet to come. We, don't have, we have direct access to God. So we're a prophetic people. Jesus says, my sheep know me. They know my voice. And so we can go directly to God and we can ask directly to him and say, there's something going wrong in my heart. What is it? What's going on in my heart? Why, why in my inner world do I not feel free? If heaven is freedom, why don't I feel free? And we can go directly with, to God and he will speak to us with the tenderness of a father who speaks to a child. With grace, mercy and compassion, he will speak to us. And so we're going to do, we, do that now. 
And we don't go digging. We are, we, I'm amazed at how many times I've said to God, what's going on in my heart? And the answer he's given me is nothing I would have thought of in a million years. I've gone to him and said, I'm troubled inside. Why am I troubled? And he speaks directly, clearly, and he comes to the point and says, this is what's going on in your heart. So can we do that? We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit. And you can do this yourself. It's not, we're not going digging for junk. We're coming to the Father and saying, I want more freedom. I want to bring heaven to earth. And I know to do that, I need a culture of heaven in my heart, which is freedom. Speak to my heart. Yeah, so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and speak to our hearts. Come and reveal where we're crying out for help. Where we're saying enough is enough is enough. What is going on in my heart? What is going on in my heart? Are there any lies that I've believed about you? Are there any false conclusions I've come to about you or about your heart or about my circumstances? Yeah, so many of you would have heard something, dropped something in your heart. And so Israel get given a diagnosis of this is what's wrong in your nation. But I want to do the, the second half is what's the solution? So I won't embarrass you by saying what did God say or put your hand if you said anything. You've heard something. And you realise actually the way I'm seeing the world, the way I'm seeing God, myself, my circumstances or other people, there's a lie I've believed about you God or about myself. But now what do you do with it? Because Israel found themselves in a situation where they're reaping what they've sown but God doesn't stop there. He brings a transformation through a person. It says in verse 11, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Oprah that belonged to Josh the, the Bezerite, whose his son Gideon was, was freshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. I want to say that when God, when God, brings, a, when God brings radical freedom to our heart, I believe one of the absolute essential keys is he always tells us who he is and he always tells us who we are. He always tells us that he's the God who's with us, that he's close to us, and he always reminds us of who we are. So when he points out something in our heart, the solution is not now with gritted teeth and determination and white knuckles, I'm going to sort it. He comes to us and says, I want to remind you of who I am and I want to remind you about who you are. And that's how he sets a heart free and that's how he commissions a people to be a people who bring the kingdom of heaven in their office, in their workplace, in their universities, in supermarkets and everywhere they go. It's because it's a people who know who God is and know who they are. He says, I'm with you and you're a mighty warrior. So intimacy and identity 
are absolutely at the heart of being a people who are a free people. And so for them, the big issue was they didn't have intimacy with God because they had intimacy with a God that God had said don't worship. They were worshipping the gods of the people around them. And so they had lost intimacy with God through worshipping something that wasn't God. And because they'd lost intimacy with God, they'd lost identity that they are the people of God. And they found themselves then not living as the people of God, but living in strongholds, caves and clefts, and not being able to plan for the future. But it started in the heart, they didn't have God, and they didn't know who they were. You're a mighty warrior. In 1 Peter 2.9, we can see how I'm going to tell you who you are so that you embark on a certain life is also a New Testament. 1 Peter, 1 Peter 2.9. So this is God in the New Testament. He comes to people and he says, you're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You're God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So he says, I'm going to tell you who you are, so that you might. But you have to know who you are first. I think it changes everything. When you walk around saying, I'm part of a chosen people, I'm a royal priesthood, I'm part of a holy nation, I'm God's special possession, so that I might declare the praise of him wherever I go. That's who I am. That's who I am. So Gideon has a moment when God says to him, I'm with you and you're a mighty warrior. He has a word from God. God speaks something to him. And uh, Gideon, we know, argues with God and says, let let me remind you something about my experience and my history so you won't think so highly of me. And that's what Gideon then goes on to argue. Let me remind you of my past. Because you're talking about my future, and actually I want to talk about my past. And I think actually we've got to remember, this is who he calls us to be. It doesn't matter how we feel about our past, whether we feel we've been strong or bold or weak or lacking courage. Actually we've got to hear what he says about our future. And we don't need to wait for an angel to appear before we get a word about our future. We don't have to wait for the prophet to come into town before we hear about our future. We don't need to leave this place and say, it's all very well for Gideon, an angel appeared to him, but an angel hasn't appeared to me. Well, Gideon has what you don't have. It says later on that God clothed himself with Gideon, but the Holy Spirit only came upon people on special times, on special occasions for a special task. We are a new covenant people in which the Spirit of God has made his home in us. So as much as we'd love to see angels and the angelic, and you can sense them here, there's the angelic working, but we don't necessarily see them with our eyes, or some of you may, or may in the future. We don't need a visitation of the angelic speaking to us before we believe God. The Holy Spirit, as we read the Bible, will do that. The Holy Spirit will do that through coincidences that happen in our life. The Holy Spirit can speak to you as you're watching a movie or listening to a song on the radio or having a conversation with a friend. The Holy Spirit can come to you and say, this is who I am and this is who you are. And in that moment, we need to not argue and talk about our past. Then finally this morning, I want to talk about that repentance looks like something. So there's been a, there's been a problem, there's been a diagnosis, There's been a commissioning of a man to know who God is and know who he is. 
But it's no good a Gideon just saying, yeah, okay, I'm a mighty warrior. A mighty warrior then needs to do something. Because he's got intimacy and identity that then needs to be expressed as action. Otherwise it just comes down to a really nice experience with an angel. But let's all get back to living in clefts and caves and strongholds and threshing wheat in the cellar. It has to lead to something. Uh, uh, God's not particularly interested in Gideon's arguments about his weaknesses or his inability or his incapacity as a great mighty warrior. God doesn't answer that. He just reminds him, go in the strength that you have. I'm with you. He doesn't care about, I'm the least in my family and my family's the least in the tribe. God's patient and listens, but he doesn't particularly answer. He just says, go in the strength you've got. I'm with you. You're a mighty warrior. He expects us to believe him. He expects us to take him at his word. And so it says in verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, take the second bull from, from your father's herd, the one seven years old, in other words a grown up bull, tear down your father's altar to Baal, cut down the Asherah pole beside it, then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height. Using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took ten of his servants and did as the Lord told him. Because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. It doesn't really matter. Gideon is a mighty man of valour, and okay, he's scared of how people will react. And so he does it at night time. But he does it. And later on we're here that they said, let's stone Gideon because he's actually destroyed our altar to Baal. So maybe it was a wise thing to do it at night time. And maybe being afraid was a really normal response if you think this could lead to me dying. Okay, this wasn't just pull down a bit of wood and put a bull on it. This was you might die tonight. But it was his first response as a mighty warrior. God is saying to him, this is the entry point of everything that has destroyed your family, your dignity, and your inheritance. This is where it all started. The people saw the gods of the land, and they wanted them as well. So on a high place, they set up a god so that they could worship the gods that everybody else was worshipping. Gideon, your first step of being a mighty, courageous man is to go and pull down the entry point pull down the strong tower, pull down the stronghold, and worship me in its place. It looks like something. See, sometimes we can have encounters with God, and there are often encounters with God, but if it doesn't then result in a step of obedience and a step of radical trust, then it's just an encounter. If it's just an encounter with an angel who says, God's with you, you're a mighty warrior, but it doesn't result in anything, it's not a complete encounter. It has to look like something somewhere. Even if it's a tiny thing, even if it's a thing that we do in fear and we're afraid. He has to cut something down. In Romans 12.2, it says this. In terms of our response... Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, it says in verse 1, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's how we come to Christ. We say, I'm yours. I'm yours. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
Then it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. In um, Galatians, not Galatians, 2 Corinthians 10. 2 Corinthians 10. It says, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary... They have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. And we're ready to punish every act of disobedience once the obedience is complete. We take captive every thought. So we've got these two verses here. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And so... God speaks to the heart and says the reason why there's so much turmoil going on in your heart is because maybe you've believed this lie about me or this lie about yourself or this lie about your circumstances or this lie about your promises or maybe there's unbelief or maybe there's bitterness or maybe there's unforgiveness or maybe there's anger. He's come and spoken into the heart and he comes and tells us I want you to be really courageous in this because I'm your God and I'm with you and you're a mighty warrior. I'm your God and you're my son or daughter. I want to remind you of who I am and who you are. I want to tell you that you're always my son and daughter. I want to tell you, even though we've talked about this area of your heart, this area of weakness, this area of lacking freedom, I'm telling you, you are still my son and daughter. Gideon, you're threshing wheat in the cellar. You're not a brave man. You're the least in your family and your tribe is the least in the whole of Israel. But this is how I see you. This is how I see you. You haven't earned it, but this is how I see you. And what I'm going to speak over you is going to commission you now to do a brave and mighty work. And so we've got to hear his voice and intimacy and identity, and then we have to go and do something. We have to say, I am going to take that thought captive. I'm going to make it obedient to Christ. I'm going to be cutting down something I'm going to tear down the altar that's in my heart. That's unforgiveness. It's going. It's take it captive. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not a kind of, well, can't I accommodate it? Could I just accommodate this area of unforgiveness? Well, well, yeah, we can still be family and you can still be loved and you can still be my son or daughter and I can still love you. But if you accommodate it, you are basically saying you want me and you want to be tormented. So you want to know me and you want to be tormented at the same time. Oh God, I, 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 want, to, I want to know you, but can I, I'm really angry. And I'm not going to process this anger properly. I'm getting revenge. Okay, you're still my son and daughter, but you, you want to have me and you want to give darkness a foothold in your life. Well, if that's the way you want to do it, if you want to walk off a building and break both your spiritual legs, you're free. <laughs> you're still my son and daughter. But when he comes to us, he says, I want to liberate you. And he comes to us like he came to Gideon and says, I want you to tear it down. I want you to chop it off. I want you to get aggressive. I want you to say, you've cried to me for help. Now you're going to do what I've asked you to do. You're going to tear that thing down. You're going to burn it and you're going to worship me in its place. Take every thought captive. It's not a kind of passive, let's just see what God does. It's a, 
I am taking ownership of what's going on in my life. And I'm going to be aggressive and I'm ripping it down. These false beliefs have to be captured. They have to be submitted to God. Enough is enough is enough. And then maturity comes as it through. Sometimes it's enough in the moment and sometimes it's unpacked in a process. This is an altar that's built to Baal. And when the people see that it's been ripped down, the people are angry. There's emotion. And they want to stone him. Can I say something? That when God points out an area in our heart where there's maybe unbelief or unforgiveness or bitterness or hatred or factions or jealousy or selfish ambition and we then go after it and say it's enough as enough as enough as is coming down it doesn't just passively say oh you found me it screams because strongholds have emotions attached to them that's why we've had them for so long I'm going to forgive I'm capturing it and then it comes in but, but they, they were so mean to you. And they're not even sorry. You've got every right to get revenge. Oh, don't, don't get rid of me. I'm your friend. I'm, I'm actually speaking sanity to you right now. You've got to let this play because you've, you've got to get justice. Or oh, there's anxiety. And we're, we're given over to great levels of fear and worry. Who's going to look after you if I don't? The stronghold says politely, if it was a children's novel. (laughs) Has emotion attached to it. He says, no, no, you can't trust him. Don't trust God. Let's trust one another. I'm your friend. If, if, If you don't have me, you're alone. Crying to God for help is where it all starts. He brings a diagnosis. He reminds us of who we are. And then he says there's a moment of obedience. That thought has got to be taken captive. Remember Wendy Backland, who wrote a lot of the books that we looked at in terms of igniting faith in 40 days. She said this to God. She said... Every day I would cry out to God. I said, I give you my heart, God. I give you my heart, God. I give you my heart, God. And God said to her one day, Wendy, I have your heart. It's your mind that I want. <laughs> God's not going to transform our mind. And we can't transform our own heart. But if we'll transform our own mind, he'll transform our own heart. Our heart. But it starts with that moment. This is going to be ripped down. I'm changing the seed. I'm having another thought. I'm embracing a process. Sometimes things we've lived with and thought patterns we've lived with for years and years and years and years, they go slowly and they change over time until one day we think, I don't even think like that anymore. But we give ourselves to the process. We give ourselves to maybe going up the mountain daily and chopping it down. And in that process, there are moments of suddenlies and encounters and moments with God. 
I would say my life has been 20 odd years of process punctuated by probably 10 incredible moments of encounter that launched me to the next area of freedom. Sometimes we find ourselves stuck and sometimes we just have to ask ourselves, have I been obedient to the last thing that God said? Have I done what he last told me to do? And just to finish then, we all know the story, hopefully, of David, King David, that before he fought Goliath, before David fought Goliath, he fought the lion and the bear when no one was looking. And it's interesting that with Gideon, that what is going to be the catalyst to a national transformation of all of their futures began with this. Gideon obeying God and ten other servants watching. That was his lion and the bear. That was his secret obedience to God. Sometimes we think, what does it matter, those secret moments of obedience? Well, there are lion and there are bear. It was the secret moment of obedience where David learned how to slingshot and how to fight wild animals that led him to the public victory of Goliath. It was in this very private moment with just ten servants that made a crack in people's worship of Baal. Because they then said, well, if Baal is Baal, he can look after himself. Don't stone Gideon. It, it broke into their consciousness and their worship of a foreign god this private, quiet, at night time, pulling down of a stronghold, led to a questioning of a false god that led to a people who had courage to believe that they could actually overcome Midian and actually overcome what was oppressing them. But it started in the dark, it was hidden, it was secret, it was small, but it led to a great public victory where God delivered Israel from Midian's hand through Gideon. If we want to transform our homes and want to see more of heaven on earth, we want to transform our workplaces, our families, our circumstances, the things around us, we need to give ourselves personally to those quiet moments where we say, I'm not thinking like that anymore. I'm ripping that down. I'm going to pull that down so heaven's freedom might be the freedom of my heart. Can I just advise to stand a little longer than normal? This, I believe, is how small churches change the world. It just starts with person after person after person who says, I'm choosing God. I'm choosing obedience. I'm choosing to honour you in small decisions. And that when you speak God, I'm doing something about it. When you speak God, I'm getting aggressive about it. When you speak God, I'm not going to be passive. When you speak God, I'm going to go to war against this thing and it's coming down and I'm moving into freedom. It's person after person after person after person. That's how communities get changed. That's how in history communities got changed. Because you re went right back to the basics. There was a bunch of believers who were radically after God in radical holiness and radical obedience. And into that he gave great deliverances and great breakthroughs. And so God, we ask you for the spirit of courage 
that would clove us like it clove Gideon. We pray, God, that as we leave this place today and we make decisions to say over things like bitterness or hatred or envy or selfish ambition or anything else that is in our heart, that we would have that determination to say, it's coming down. It's coming down. I'm ripping it down. And that we would walk deeply with one another. That we would be those who are known and those who walk deeply with God and those who take steps of obedience. Yeah, God, we just say today that things that we've heard in our heart, we just again freshly commit ourselves, God, that we will renew our minds, that we will be transformed by the renewing of our mind. That, God, we will not accommodate anything that you point out in our hearts. That, God, we'll take the axe, as it were, to wooden wooden idols and say, I'm going to make a worship place in this place. In Jesus' name. We say, God, this is more than us. It's more than about us. It was more than just about Gideon's identity. It was more than just about Gideon fulfilling his personal destiny. God, in these moments, it had knock-on effects of freedom to first his family and his dad, and then a whole nation and a whole future. This is more at stake than just our own personal liberty and freedom, God. This is about the world. This is about the glorification of Jesus. This is about you getting what you paid for. And God, we embrace the days of small beginnings. We embrace the days of the lion and the bear. We embrace the days, God, where it might only be us and ten other servants looking. We embrace the secret moments of obedience. We embrace the secret moments of trust and obeying, God. We embrace it, God, believing that God is in those things that become the catalyst to transformation, God. They all matter. And God, we pray for fresh courage, even right now, to come on people this morning. Fresh courage and grace. We thank you that we are not gritting our teeth and stoically making it happen, but we're a temple of the Holy Spirit and that we can get resources from God and we can lean into God and be empowered by God. We acknowledge that, God, we can do nothing without you. And so we just say, you're the vine, we're the branches. We're going to draw on your strength. We're going to draw on your grace. And we're going to draw on your fortitude. So we say liberty, freedom. We say things that have dogged for years are changing today. We say areas that have not been free in our hearts. Today is the day. We're going to mark it in our diary. November the 30th, 2014. That was the day where I freshly heard God say, go up on the mountain and rip it down. And so we just speak that over things. We say, today is the day. Everything changes from today. We don't need an angel to come to us to prophesy. We prophesy to ourselves. We say, God is saying, today is the day. God is saying, today I'm changing the way the future is going to look. God is saying today, I'm speaking hope into hopelessness. Today is the day where God is saying, where you've been captive, I want you to know the door of that prison is wide open. Today is the day where I say to you, do you want to come out and explore the wide open spaces of the kingdom of heaven? Today is the day where I'm going to establish new measures of freedom in your heart so that you'll be a people who establish new measures of freedom wherever you go. And I want you to mark it in your Bible, November the 30th, 2014. That was the day that changed. Prophesy over yourself. Be the speaker of good news to you. 
Not just the speaker of good news to those around you. Speak it over yourself. Prophesy over yourself. Declare it over yourself. Something's changing today. I'm never going to be the same again. Hope has come to me today. That prison door that never seemed to open, the latch is open and it's open today for me to walk out in Jesus' name. Prophesy over yourself. Be the greatest encourager of you you know how to be. Believe what he says about you in Jesus' name. Amen.